Hello, this podcast is part of our Distress Supplier series. I'm Charlie Hennig, a Knowledge Executive in the Osborne Clark Disputes and Risk team, and I'm joined today by Michelle Radom, Head of Disputes and Risk Knowledge, to look at what you should do if you're a customer who is starting to experience problems cropping up with your suppliers or your supplier. Michelle, what is the best approach to adopt in order to achieve your commercial goals? Well, the first challenge can be spotting if you have a problem brewing in the first place. Obviously, delays in deliveries and performance are often part and parcel of commercial transactions. So it's important to distinguish between ordinary problems that you'll encounter along the way and the first warning signs of a deeper and more systemic risk to your supply chain, which will need to be addressed promptly before matters worsen. But of course, that can be easier said than done. Problems are usually going to look the same initially. And it could be hard to work out if there are being caused by the very well-publicised wider financial and commercial issues currently affecting so many businesses, such as difficulties in sourcing raw materials and, and rising energy costs. So what are the early warning signs generally? Well, they could be of a passive nature. So, for example, just silence or delays or, or the changing of scope without any prior consultation or explanation. Or or they could be a more active nature, so things like repeated, maybe informal requests for short extensions or or more money for performance, which has already been agreed, or repeated excuses for delay or poor performance. And large companies face particular difficulties in identifying a potentially significant problem. Different teams may not be sufficiently looped in to spot these early warning signs. So it's important that the business is encouraged to contact commercial leads and in-house lawyers as soon as issues start to crop up. That's because, just put simply, the earlier problems are spotted, the more options you're likely to have. So in order to spot problems quickly, good contract management is key. Contracts should never just be filed away in a cabinet and forgotten about. They should be monitored and crucial deadlines for delivery diarised. And if that process can be automated, it will obviously make trouble spotting far easier. So what do you think, so what do you do if you think you have got a real problem with a supplier? So an early issue to consider when problems start cropping up is whether the relationship is salvageable and of course whether you want it to be. And that in turn may well depend on what's causing the delay of non-performance or or non-performance issues and crucially the ease with which alternative suppliers can be sourced. If problems are due to the wider issues which many businesses are currently facing, things may not improve by switching to suppliers who are also facing similar problems. A renegotiation or variation of the contract may prove to be the best long-term commercial solution instead. If you do want to vary your contract, check what your contract says about variations first and whether there's a change control clause, which, which usually applies to changes in services or goods being supplied or any other clause dealing with anticipated changes. But two things to watch out for. Firstly, beware inadvertently changing your contracts by informal, unrecorded discussions with the other side. If there's nothing in your contract to prevent oral modifications of the contract, the contract can be altered in this way. And secondly, under English law, you usually need what's called consideration for a variation. something of benefit must pass from one party to the other. So if, for example, you agree to pay more for the supply of something that has already been promised to you under your contract, that variation could potentially be unenforceable. 
Although that argument usually only succeeds if there's been some form of economic duress that was put on you by the other side. Of course, once the contract is varied, it's going to be important to monitor whether the new terms are being adhered to. And if passing problems further up your commercial train would put you in breach of your own contractual obligations, that will also be an important consideration. You may need to think about whether you need to have discussions first with other parties, such as your lenders or insurers. But what if you don't want to vary your contract? What if you just want to extricate yourself instead? Well, if problems can't be resolved easily with your supplier, you're going to need to start thinking about how best to protect, protect your position. If you want to start extricating yourself from the contract, there'll be various issues to think about, such as, again, checking the key contractual terms and exclusions. What exactly must your supplier do by when? And what does your contract say you can or have to do if things go wrong? So, for example, does your contract have a liquidated damages clause? If not, you, you should be entitled to recover amounts already paid if you haven't received what you were supposed to receive under the contract. Damages for non-delivery will usually be the difference between the contract price and the current market price at the time the goods ought to have been delivered. And if there's no available market anymore for the goods, in other words, no one can get hold of them from anywhere, the court will try to estimate the value of the item not delivered. Where there have been some deliveries and the contract can't be split into separate parts, you will be able to claim damages and set them off against any claim from your supplier for payment. Also think about whether this is a force majeure situation. So check again, you check your contract, does it have a force majeure clause? And if so, will it apply to the particular problem faced by your supplier or even the problem you are now facing with your own suppliers? For example, if a supplier is unable to comply with its obligations because to do so would put it in breach of financial sanctions, so for example, it intended to source materials from a company that is now a designated entity, that may excuse it from performance. But if the contract can be performed in another way, perhaps by sourcing materials from alternative suppliers, then the sanctions will cease to be an excuse for non-performance. And then think about what your contract says about termination. And you need to be really careful about this because if you get termination wrong, your supplier can sue you for damages for what's known as repudiatory breach of the contract or choose to keep the contract going. On the other hand, if you do have a right to terminate, you don't have to act reasonably or in good faith in, when you exercise that right and, unless the contract says that you do. If your contract is silent about termination, you'll need a really very serious breach to justify terminating, something which really goes to the root of your contract. Persistently missed deadlines for deliveries which constitute the bulk of what you contracted for, with evidence that your supplier will never be able to meet its obligations, that kind of thing is what you're looking for. But you'll face problems if it looks like your supplier will deliver at some point. So suppliers who are continually a little bit late are a problem. Usually, though, your contract will have an express clause about termination. If delivery is required by a certain date and time is said to be of the essence, then even a short delay will justify terminating. But that's fairly unusual. It's much more common for a contract to talk about terminating for material breach. And the problem is this, that term is, is often not defined. 
So ask yourself if the breaches are having a serious effect on the benefit you were supposed to get under the contract. Also, the contract may give your supplier a reasonable amount of time to remedy problems after notice is served on them. Whether the situation is capable of remedy means that things can be put right in the future rather than curing past problems and damage. And the contract will normally say something about how to terminate, won't it? Yes, that's right. And it's important that any requirement in the contract to serve notices is complied with very carefully. The notice must state very clearly that you are terminating and why. In one case, the wrong clause was cited in the notice, so the right to terminate was lost. And it also won't matter if compliance with the notice provision seems pointless. So in another case, the notice had to be sent to a certain address, even though the company had since left that address. And be very careful that you don't give any rights away. It's very important to preserve any rights you may have where the other side's in breach. There are various principles of English law that essentially block a wronged party from relying on rights, which it would otherwise be able to assert, for example, waiver and estoppel. To cut down the risk of those arguments succeeding, you should make sure you're not giving mixed messages or leading the other side to believe that you're willing to forgive breaches and non-performance. For example, if you're serving a termination notice, don't also ask for delivery by a certain date or threaten to terminate if these are not received within the next number of days. That's because termination must end the whole contract immediately. You can't keep some bits alive and you mustn't contradict your message that you're terminating. Parties frequently write in their correspondence with each other that they are reserving their rights. Does that work? Well, the first rule is that you need to know exactly what rights you're reserving. So it's best to spell that out and, and not be too vague. And don't refer to future rights that might possibly arise at some point. And also, again, actions speak louder than words. So don't give a reservation of rights and then act as if you decided that you're that you've already decided you're going to keep the contract going and, and are willing to accept late deliveries. And in any event, there's no need to reserve until you've done something that suggests you don't mind about the delay or problem. And remember that you, you will still need to act following reservation. It can be quite easy to park the problem and move on once reservation is sent. But you should be planning your next steps at the same time. And if it looks like there is going to be a dispute about all this with your supplier, what should you do then? How do you get ready for a dispute, even if you don't really want to litigate? So even if you believe problems can be sorted out through discussions and negotiation, it's still important to be preparing for any potential formal dispute further down the line, just in case. Lawyers should be consulted early on. For one thing, they can be used to deliver the hard message while you maintain an ongoing relationship, if, if that's your aim. And for another, it will make it easier to claim privilege over documents, and, and that will prevent the other side from ever seeing those documents. A paper trail is crucial. Where conversations take place over the phone or in person, the key content should be noted in a document as soon afterwards as is possible. It's important to start preserving relevant documents, so suspending any automatic IT deletion programs as soon as a dispute starts to develop. Equally, be careful when creating new documents. Confidentiality is not in itself a reason to refuse to disclose documents during litigation, although this is more likely to be an issue for the supplier who's in breach and so has probably done something wrong. 
And if the worst comes to the worst, what are the dispute resolution options? So the method of resolving your dispute will usually be spelt out in your contract. Usually your contract will say you should either litigate or arbitrate and and there's pros and cons for each method. But you may also have what's known as an escalation clause. So usually something along the lines of you need to indulge in good faith attempts to settle before then escalating up to, say, a senior industry figure to look at the matter. And then if that fails, on to either arbitration or litigation. These clauses are usually enforceable and they can help preserve relationships. But there are downsides too. If you want to assert your legal rights quickly, they can add unnecessary delay to getting to the end of your disputes. And even if your contract does provide for for arbitration or litigation, you can still attempt mediation at any stage. The English judicial system has been very slowly moving towards a system of compulsory mediation for some time now, with the courts regularly awarding cost penalties against parties which unreasonably refuse to take part once litigation has commenced. And finally, it will always be important not to lose sight of the fact that some defendants are just not worth suing, either because they'll have insufficient assets to meet any judgment against them, or because they're moving towards insolvency. But that's something we'll look at later on in this series. That's all we really have time for for today. Thanks for listening.